Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to this special author interview with a dear friend and client, Amy Bruski. And Amy, you have written with Kathy a brilliant book called Business is Business, Reality Checks for Family-Owned Companies. And I'm talking to Amy Bruski, and the book is co-written with Kathy Colby. Now, I am really, really excited to talk to you, Amy, today about this book because, first of all, within the Strategic Coach client base, there are a lot of family-owned businesses, and that's really the subject of your book. I've known some of the trials, some of the tribulations, and also a lot of the benefits. And within Strategic Coach, I work with my family. So I work with my sister, and I work with my mom. Dan and Babs are husband and wife, as well as business partners. So I realize I know a little bit more about it than I thought I did. <laughs> we don't necessarily own this business, but we're certainly an integral part of it. So first of all, thank you very much for writing the book. When I'm in my coaching with clients, I feel like I've gotten a lot wiser, a lot smarter from reading what's in the pages. I know a little bit, obviously, from talking to you and Kathy over the years. But I just want to say thank you. And also, if you could just briefly introduce yourself and say what kind of compelled you and Kathy to write this book, because it's something that you've experienced yourself, but it takes a lot of work to get it into the pages of a book. So how did that come about? Sure. And thank you for having me because I'm so passionate about this topic. And obviously, I am working in a family business as well. And yet, I never set out to work for family, nor did Kathy Colby, who's the founder of our business, set out to have a family business. But it worked and it was a great fit. And I know we're going to talk a lot about the trials and tribulations of a family business today. So I will start with the fact that What's joyful about it is when you can work with family, people that are so close to you and you love dearly and you get to share successes together, there is nothing better than that level of success. So it is an amazing thing to be with people who share your values, who are committed to the same kinds of things, and you get to experience success together. So I'll start with that. But the way that this book came about was really through our consulting with other companies. And I came back one day from a gut-wrenching discussion with one of our clients who had gotten to the point where the business had fallen apart. It was a husband and wife team that had taken over from a generation before. And things had gone seriously wrong by the time I got to working with them. Their marriage was done, basically, as far as they knew. They were living apart. And she had been taking over the business, and now it was successful again. And yet she had no one to share the success with. So she had been written about in this amazing book as one of the most successful women in the construction industry. And she said, isn't this sad? I can't even share this with my husband because he's not at the point where he wants to hear about what I'm doing with the business or the success. So I came back and I was talking to Kathy Colby about what could we do to help people because we had learned so much along the way. And we had decided we need a some kind of training or a retreat for family businesses. And let's get other people that have gone through what we've gone through and survived and what are the best practices. As we started recording what we wanted to do in this retreat, it just became a book. So it was never the goal to make it a book. We started writing down all the stories that we had experienced along the way, our own stories and what we had learned. And it became a book. And I'm so glad that it is now because we're getting so much feedback from people. And now we've got even more stories of success and failure. And business is about learning from what doesn't work. So if we can share what we've learned and the mistakes that we've made and save people a little bit of heartache, then we're thrilled to do that. Because when you destroy relationships because people work together, that's devastating. No one should have to go Mm -hmm. through that. Yeah. And family is something that you hopefully have for your whole life. 
So to my mind, families are a very unique type of team. Family-owned businesses are definitely unique types of teams, and which is why I think it's so relevant to what we normally talk about in the team success conversations and podcast. It's fascinating to me because you have really learned what works and what doesn't, and where it's important to be together. I love that you talk about the joy that comes from it because that's completely true. There's nothing more fun. But also there are, as you said, lots of trials and tribulations as well. So the title of the book is really indicative of one of your main lessons, I think, in the book, which is that business is business, not family is business, business is family. So talk about how family is family and business is business, because I think that's such a great starting point for the rest of our conversation. Sure. Well, keeping boundaries and establishing boundaries that protect your relationships is one of the most important things that we see that people can do. And so we called the book Business is Business because we meant that. When you're at work, it is all about business. Your personal life should not be bleeding into conversations. You shouldn't be calling each other nicknames that you would use at home. And as basic as that seems, I still walk into businesses that I'm coaching or consulting with and a son is calling the dad, dad. And that sets a very strange situation for the rest of the people working in the business that are not family and for their clients. So that's an obvious one. That's an obvious boundary. But I was working with a husband and wife team and it was very interesting because they said they were frustrated by the part of the book that said, you shouldn't be talking about business at home. They said, our business is our life. We love our business. Of course, we're going to talk about the business when we're at home too. And I started asking them questions about how do you have any downtime? If when you're at home, you're still talking about the business, when do you actually shut that off? Because we know that mental energy and your ability to solve problems, that mental energy is finite. So if you're not managing that well, you're not able to produce at the level you need to produce the next day. So for them, it was a matter of understanding that I understand you love the business, but at home, there has to be a boundary with what you can discuss. So here's what we came up with. At home, they could vent to each other because I think that's important. You would vent to your spouse if you didn't work together about a frustration or tell a funny story. So they could talk about that kind of work scenario at home, but they couldn't expend any energy on solving problems or getting something done. And that became a point that they could work with. In our own business, I have seen some incredibly heated conversations. So I work with Kathy Colby, who's my stepmother, which by the way, is already a very unusual situation. I think a stepmother and a stepdaughter. And then my stepbrother, so her son, we all work together. And the two of them, sometimes I've seen in incredibly heated conversations. And then at the end of the conversation, they say, I'll see you tonight at six, dinner, right? Yep. And they walk out the door. And then I go to that dinner and no one in our family would ever know. So it's important for the rest of the family too. They don't want to have to rehash and relive everything that happened at the office. So that line at work and at home is key. And by the way, one thing that also happens that creeps in is non-family members sometimes will force communication to a family member, ask you to deliver a message just because your family and that's not appropriate either. So those boundaries go for family members and non-family members to not use those relationships. That is so funny. So for anyone who doesn't know, I work with Julia Waller and Marilyn Waller. Julia's my sister, Marilyn's my mom. And Marilyn made it incredibly clear from the get-go when I hired her 22 years ago. She said, you cannot call me mom at work. And she doesn't answer if I do. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that makes it really easy. That's great. Now, she's the one sometimes where we'll be on a free day. So in coach world, that's 24 hours, midnight to midnight, during which you do absolutely no work. And she'll be starting to talk about work. And I'm like, I literally put my fingers in my ears and go, la, 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 la. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. That's right. Because I'm like you. I can talk about it or venting or a funny story. It's like talking about something. But when I can feel myself kick into problem-solving mode and like stop enough so that's when I kick into striving, which is what Colby is all about, is helping people identify and figure out how you strive and use it well. So I know where that hook is for me. It's like a little switch that gets flicked and on my free days because I know I need my downtime. Look out. <laughs> you don't want to cross that boundary with me. But also, to your other point, too, tons of people go to Bab saying, can you please talk to Dan about this for me? And she's like, no, you go talk to him if it's a big deal. Or people think that I'm going to run into Julia and Marilyn. And even though my office is next door to Julia's and Marilyn's 40 feet away, we have different patterns and different circles and very different activities that we're doing. And we don't even see each other some days. So people's assumptions about how close we are, well, close we are in terms of proximity or time are completely inaccurate. So it's like, no, if you want to communicate something to all three of us, communicate to all three of us, please. <laughs> Don't assume that yeah. one of us is going to pass the message. Absolutely. So I could not agree more strongly with those points. Right. And those boundaries, if you set them early on, then the rest of the organization follows suit. But when you start having blurring of the lines, it really becomes a challenge. So you have to have strong communication skills. By the way, bottom line is you have to have really strong relationships because if you can't trust someone in your personal life or you don't have a strong relationship with that person where you can have some difficult conversations, working together is not a good idea. It's not going to be easier on your relationship. It's kind of like when people say having a baby is harder on your relationship. Everyone thinks it's going to bond them. Working together is that much tougher too. So one other thing that I've had to make sure in order to foster relationships, because I haven't said that I also work with my father. And by the way, my kids did not like it when they heard me calling their grandfather by his first name. That bothered my kids more than anything, that I wasn't calling him dad, but they got used to it. So I've had to have separate time with him because we work together. I see him a lot every day, but in a work environment. And so I've noticed that my habit is to not set aside personal time to see him as I would if I didn't see him every day. So you have to maybe sometimes make an extra effort for that personal time. That's a great point. I think that's something I probably need to do too. <laughs> Sometimes like, I've already seen you. We're good. There's a couple scenarios I want to run by you. And I want to make sure also that people know that one of the great things about Colby and knowing your Colby MO, your modus operandi, is it gives you an amazing tool to be able to sort out that teamwork in a way that nothing else does. And I know it prevents so many problems where a father brings a son or daughter into the business and it's a train wreck, which we've all heard those stories, or why husband and wives need to work differently together, or that the husband assumes that the wife is automatically good at bookkeeping and she may be better at innovating for all we know. So it just eliminates a lot of the dangers and assumptions. So I want to make sure we get that part of it in because I think it's so critical. But you also talk about the three parts of the mind, which is really the fact that it's not just the conative, how people strive, but it's also what are the people's values, what's important to them, how do they feel about what the business is about, and then what skills and training do they bring to the table and what experience do they bring. So there's a lot that goes into really effective family teamwork. That's what I've got from the book. Is that what you would say as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and let's go back to those three parts of the mind because the subtitle of the book is Reality Checks for Family-Owned Businesses. And one of the most important reality checks that we put out there is, is there a good fit in all three dimensions of the mind for each family member in the business? If there's not, it's not a good idea for them to be in the business. So one of the stories that we tell, and I think a lot of your clients can relate to this, is a father and son team. And I worked with this company where the father was a wildly successful financial advisor. And he and his son were very good. They were best of friends. And he wanted to bring him into the business. The son had an MBA. He was incredibly smart. He had some really basic experience, but he was fairly new out of school. Some basic experience in a large financial firm. And they enjoyed being together. So we thought it was a no-brainer. But when we really pulled back the layers and looked at all three dimensions of the mind, it was a disaster waiting to happen. So the three dimensions of the mind that we always look at is the cognitive or what is the skills, the abilities, the experiences that someone brings to the table. And by the way, you should not be bringing in a child into the business without some basic cognitive experience. So the cognitive dimension of the mind is the first part that deals with skills and abilities, experiences that people have, education, those kinds of things. There's also the affective dimension of the mind or what has to do with the feeling part of the mind. So think about a personality type, your values, what motivates you, do you love the business? Those kinds of things fall into that bucket. And then the third dimension is the cognitive dimension of the mind that deals with how you naturally take action, how you get things done when you're striving. So if you think about it as the thinking, feeling, and doing, that is your best checklist for deciding if this is going to work or not for a family member. Well, the husband and son team that we worked with, Billy and Drew, Drew was someone who had been very successful, loved his business. He was passionate about it. He brings his son into the business. And what we realize is just because he had an MBA does not make him great at financial services advising. So he was a smart kid, book smart, straight A's, great MBA, but that didn't necessarily translate into fabulous into his kind of business. When you look at the affective fit, he wasn't passionate about the business in the same way and he wasn't a great salesperson. He just wasn't a natural producer and salesperson like his dad. And then the third piece, the cognitive piece, the dad was a natural innovator. He would jump in, he would come up with new ways of developing business And the son was someone who was much better suited for operations. And so the dad was absolutely the worst mentor for him in that business. Well, here's what happened. The son ends up not doing well in the business. The clients did not want to immediately start working with this kid, quote unquote. The other people in the business did not respect that this kid was coming in with no experience to bring to the table. So they rejected him. And it was just kind of a failure all around. Unfortunately, then the dad's wife was really angry about the fact that the son wasn't still in the business and working it through. So on the surface, it looks great. But if you don't go back to those three parts of the mind and use that as a checklist, chances of it working are not great. And that's a fairly common scenario. Unfortunately, a couple elements for me is one is the person brought in is not suited for the role. They're brought in strictly on the basis of fact that they're related. Non-family members don't respect them. And I think that's a really key factor because I've normally been in the position of being a non-family member and then feel like that person's getting extra special treatment or gets way more kicks at the can than anyone else would and that the rules are being applied differently. So it's really a setup for a nasty circumstance. And then to have it go south with the whole family, the husband and wife are now at odds and the son's persona non grata. <laughs> I mean, 
this is just not a good scenario. Sure. And you hit it on the head then where you said this person was treated differently. So you have to ask yourself, would you hire this person from the outside if he weren't family? And I understand as entrepreneurs, we all have dreams that our kids will eventually be in the business. And in some cases, it makes a lot of sense. But in this case, this is someone who did not love this business. That was the first thing. And he needed to go out and get a lot more experience somewhere else. And then the third piece is he was not going to run the business the same way his dad would have. And we would have to figure that out. So we said, if he's going to stay in the business, let us help carve out a niche for him. And it's not to be you in the future in the way you would have done it. And that's the biggest thing that I think we can do when looking at the cognitive part of the mind. We all have instincts for solving problems and getting things done. When we identify those, then it becomes really clear who should be doing what in the business. And that gets rid of some of the emotion around, I want to be just like you. I am trying my best to emulate you and I'm failing. No one wants to put that person in that position to fail. It's not good for anyone. So is that one of the main things that you do when you guys go in to work with a family and you do it on a consulting basis? What are some of the things that you do to ask questions or figure out where the successes are and where the trials are? What kind of analysis do you guys do? Sure. Well, we'll just go in and ask them about their goals. First of all, is what are your goals? What's your vision for the organization? How do the family members fit in? And where are your biggest pain points? First of all, we assure them that we get it. Anything that they've been through, we've experienced. We have four family members in our business as well. And our goal is to make sure that we increase the probability of success. And it always starts with figuring out who are the players What are their motivations and desires? What skills do they bring to the table? And then that third piece is we can very easily assess who are they? How do they most naturally get things done? And how can we find them the freedom to be themselves? Because a business where people are not free to be themselves is not going to succeed long term, Mm -hmm. especially where it's family members. So what is the advice that you would have given someone like Billy before he brought in his son? What would you have told him to do differently? Well, the first thing is the timing wasn't right. The son needed to go out and get a lot of experience or else he has nothing to bring to the table. So bringing someone in when they're that young and they don't have work experience, you've got to have something you're bringing in because number one, now you have confidence. You're coming in with confidence. You have some experiences. You have some knowledge to bring. When we're sitting around and solving a difficult problem, you can say, when I worked for this other organization, this is what worked or didn't. That's the first thing. Non-family members are more likely to respect them as well. And you get a better sense of, can they succeed in another role? What I see happen a lot of the times is people bring in an adult child who's flailing or not doing well somewhere else, and they think this is going to fix it. And that's never great. You can't rescue someone by giving them a job in your family business. So it starts with him experiencing success somewhere else. And then the other thing is making sure that you know that person's abilities coming in. We have a whole chapter in the book on developing the next generation because we are incredibly passionate about making sure that people know you can start developing solid problem solvers when you have small children. So we talk a lot about the fact that if you do think you want to bring in your kids someday or at least give them that opportunity, here are the things that you can do up front. And it has to do with developing confidence, forcing them to make decisions, having strong opinions, being able to talk to adults. You know, there are a lot of different things that you can do to help them. So we have Take Your Child to Work Day coming up here in the U.S. in the next couple of weeks where adults bring their kids to work and it's just fun and they color or whatever. I mean, put them to work. 
They need to really see what that looks like. But one other thing that I would say is be careful how you talk about your business with your kids. Because one of the things that I've seen happen is that entrepreneurs come home and they are tired and they vent and things aren't going well. And that's completely appropriate because you want your kids to reality of what it's like to be a business owner. At the same time, I've seen that backfire where sometimes kids will say, oh gosh, I don't want to go into that business. That sounds awful. That's a lot of work. Look how stressed out my dad is all the time, whatever it might be. So you also have to think about sharing with them how fabulous it is to be in the business as well. That's a really good point. We've heard that a lot from our clients within the strategic coach community. Often they say that the last thing my kids have ever told me they want to do is go into my business or even become an entrepreneur in a different business because I've made it look so bad. Right. Because I've never spent time with them. I never took what we would call free days. I never did any of the things that would make them want to be an entrepreneur. And that's a crying shame, in my opinion. We know how important entrepreneurs are and family businesses are. So your point is so appropriate to make sure that they share the wins and the joy and what is really working along with some of those challenges. Before we go any further, you and Kathy have found some amazing stats about the percentage of businesses in, I don't know if it's just the U.S. or North America, that are family-owned businesses. I had no idea. Yeah. So remember that when we're defining family businesses, it's any time that two or more people who are related are working together. So oftentimes I'll talk to a husband and wife and they'll say, we're not running a family business. They think that they need to have their kids in it. But two entrepreneurs working together as spouses, you've got family in the business and all of the suggestions and the reality checks we talk about in the book are appropriate. But what we've seen when we've looked up any of the stats is that somewhere right around 90% of all business enterprises in North America are considered a family business. Consider sheer numbers, all the dry cleaners, all the restaurants, all of those kinds of things. It's a significant amount of businesses. And when I do speeches and I ask people, how many of you are either in a family business or someone you're related to is almost every hand in the room goes up. So think about that for yourself. If you're not in a family business, is your spouse working for a family business? Is someone you know in that? 75% of all jobs are generated by family businesses here in the US. So those are some of the numbers that we've seen. And yet we've also all seen the statistics about what percent of family businesses make it to the third generation. And those are devastating numbers. It's somewhere around 12 to 15% from all of the research that we've seen. And the interesting thing is I think people focus so much on the financial part of businesses, financial planning, and how do you hand it over, and succession planning. And yet, when you see family businesses report why it failed, 60% of the time, it's problems with communication and trust. Mm. So very early on in the book, we talk about values and trust. And what does that look like? Because that's key. But yes, I think we're all affected by family business in some way. And And then those are the small companies that come to mind, but there's a lot of major Fortune 500 companies as well. So big organizations that are also family businesses. Which I know because the other day you showed me a list. I was like, oh, I did not know that. (laughs) It was quite an education. It's interesting because trust was actually the next thing I wanted us to talk about. So let's talk about trust in a family business, how to make it work, where the lines are, what happens when someone's violated that trust, because you have a whole chapter on it. And I want to talk about what it means. How do you define it and how to do it right? Okay. So this is one that's so interesting because you can look at it from a couple of different ways. 
First of all, if you do not trust someone implicitly, don't go into business with them. We know that. Kathy jokes a lot that if you can't trust someone to help you plan their wedding, you know, follow through on get the flowers or whatever, that it's not a good idea for them to be in the business. But there's also trusting your instincts. So we talk a lot in the trust chapter about trust starts with you and trusting your own instincts. And as the actual business owner, understanding yourself and trusting your judgment. You got to learn to trust your instincts before you can bring other people in and then help trust them as well. And as far as breaking trust, a lot of times that happens accidentally or because the person's in the wrong job. So giving someone the benefit of the doubt, if they failed at something or didn't follow through on something, you've got to be able to figure out a way to repair that, give someone a second chance. And the family member that's coming into the business or is in the business needs to know they're going to be scrutinized at a much higher level than anybody else. So when something goes wrong, that's just kind of the deal. There are perks to being a family member in a family business and then there's some downsides. And that's one thing is if you violate trust, it's going to be hard to repair that. So you may have to include non-family members in bringing that back. So One of the things I found, though, is a lot of times if someone doesn't solve problems the same way that you do, someone will say, well, I can't trust them to do it in this way. That's different from truly you can't trust them to be honest or to violate some of your strongest values in the organization. So if you're putting someone in a position, let's say someone is much more adaptable versus systematic in the way they get things done, and you keep putting them in charge of the plan and the process and following through and finishing everything and that starts breaking trust, that's just inappropriate because you're not allowing that person to be who they are. So no, I can't trust someone who doesn't naturally do things in a very systematic, rigid way to get those things done. So that chapter is kind of rich with starting with trusting your instincts and then going to what do we do about it when there's broken trust. I want to talk about values too, but let's start with instincts because I would be the person who would change the plan, by the way, because that's my Colby MO and who I am. And this is the Colby process. So if anyone has not yet done their Colby who's listening, please, please, please go to Colby.com, K-O-L-B-E.com and do your Colby A index. It is brilliant and so insightful. I was describing it today to some people who are coming in to work with us, Amy, and it was really fun just to go through the whole pattern again, interpret their Colby's for them. Because when you know how someone strives and how their mental energy plays out, you can totally trust that if they are striving, they will absolutely behave that way. And it is so incredible to be able to have that information. It's like the inside scoop on somebody, maybe even more than they've been conscious of knowing themselves. And I like that in my own strange way, I'm predictable. It's very predictable I'm going to improvise. (laughs) It's very predictable that I'm going to adapt. You know, it's very predictable that I'm going to simplify. Those are some of my cognitive strengths. I like that. I don't want to be predictable in the boring sense of the word, of course. But I want other people to be able to count on me for me to be me and to know and to make the best use of me and so I can contribute the most versus expecting me to be somebody I'm not. And in any family relationship, we always have expectations (laughs) of our families. But if that's mixed up and people don't know how you strive, that just compounds the whole problem from what I could tell. We'll put it this way. As soon as I learned about Colby, first I made sure that all of my clients I was coaching did their Colby's as well. This became part of my program. And I profiled all of my family. 
because I wanted to know how they got stuff done, whether I was working with them or not. That's right. It was just so vital to me. So to my mind, knowing someone's cold BMO and playing to it, if you know it and ignore it, that's actually worse, is such a critical point of making sure that the family expectations are in line and that teamwork works. I mean, I'm not saying anything you don't say pretty much every day, but anything you want to add from a family side to that? No, I think you brought up teamwork and that's really critical. What we know is you have to do a little bit of analysis first to see when do we need to work collaboratively and when do we not. There's been some interesting research recently, actually Harvard even put out a study about the fact that collaboration has gone up 50% in the workplace. And yet we know productivity hasn't gone up 50% in the workplace. So what is that about? And there's just this trend to be a team in everything that we do. Well, it's interesting that when you're family members, I think you're even more compelled to work together. Sometimes that's appropriate for the task and sometimes it's not. So there are times when it's really important that you work independently towards shared goals. And we have a very quick little free analysis that's seven questions to help people figure that out because collaboration at all costs is not good. And family members tend to want to be a team even more. So you have to figure out when is it appropriate based on the end result you want in the task, but you also have to figure it out based on how you all naturally strive. So if you're exactly alike cognitively, sometimes that's fine if you're brainstorming. So Shannon, you and I are very similar in how we get started in problem solving. We might get together and say, let's get together and brainstorm because that works better in a group and that's what we're doing. There's other times though, if you and I were working on a project start to finish to try and get something done, we're the worst team members because we're so similar. We need someone who is going to come in and fill some of those gaps and help us do the details and get things finished and get a plan going on. So I think that if family would look back and see when do we need to be more of a team and when do we not. That would be most important and only make those decisions based on what's needed at that time. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I want to jump to values because I think that's a core part of the book and a core part of what I think actually makes any business work. But it's kind of interesting because sometimes they can be really assumed and not actually spoken out loud. They're kind of intrinsic as opposed to extrinsic. And sometimes they can be applied differently depending on <laughs> who it is, a family member, non-family member, a different age, male, female. There's all sorts of different ways. So talk about the importance of values that you found and how you work with families and their values. So the values thing is really interesting because I think sometimes people slap a poster on the wall with three words and say, here are our values and that's what we live. And we all know that if you really make decisions in business based on your values, decision-making becomes a lot easier. So the good news is that sometimes when you're bringing family members in, you already share some of those values. But don't confuse sharing personal values or we go to church together and we make the same decisions about how we spend money in these ways, charities, those kinds of things, that you will have the same business values. Because what I find is that's not true. How you make business decisions is specifically your business values. Mm -hmm. And you might bring a family member in and be pretty shocked about what would they do if and give them some scenarios. So it's a good idea to talk about some difficult decisions that you have to make as a business and how they would handle it. And we've experienced this in our own business where we had someone that had to take a lot of time off with his wife when they were having a baby because of complications. And 
we had had a family scenario that was similar, a little bit different with fertility treatments. How you handle that non-family member has to be just as consistent as how you handled the family member in that scenario. Because as a business, we have to show that our values are equal among everyone that's there. So know that your decisions are being watched by your non-family members. And by the way, we can't run a family business without all of the amazing non-family members who are going to help us grow our business. So be very aware of how every decision you make shows your values. And are you going to be consistent with how you play those? I think that's such a critical point. I mean, one of the things I love in terms of the conversations about values and how important they are is it allows people to make decisions when you're not there. <laughs> it's a form of delegation. Sure. But if they're applied unevenly, that's just a massive opportunity for a mess. And we've both seen situations where it's been applied one way to the son and the other way to the daughter, usually in the male's favor, or sometimes vice versa, or non-family members are perhaps treated differently. And so we end up with this kind of two-tier system that is not conducive to productivity, not conducive to profitability, which is what you want. You want your family business to be profitable because then that benefits the family. <laughs> so there's almost these innate contradictions sometimes with the day-to-day versus that long-term goal of being profitable and productive. If you haven't got your business values sorted out or if you are applying them unevenly, fix that would be <laughs> would be my... Fix that immediately, yes. And if you're a parent, especially, check your biases. And are you following some of the myths, the birth order myth, right? Is it the oldest is always going to take over the business and be the CEO? Or is it always the son who would be more appropriate to take over a business? And you have to think about some of those choices that you're making too. There's a great story in the book about, I think it was two daughters. One of them had an MBA, but then it was the other one who was actually much better suited for running the company. Can you tell that story? Because I really like it. Oh, sure. So that is a dad who's an entrepreneur, and he thinks it's so obvious that the daughter who's got the MBA and knows a lot about business is well-suited for his company. And the other daughter who doesn't have any of the background or education, it would make no sense for her to come in. But what he missed is the daughter with the MBA was really well-suited for a large corporation. She was not someone who, based on the MBA and the experience she had, but also based on her Colby result, was not the right person to take over. So he was so focused on her education and her experience that he completely missed the fact that the youngest daughter who's kind of a free spirit and hadn't shown interest in the business in the past, had the right fit and mix of talents to come in and take it over. So right in front of his eyes, he's missing the fact that there's this other person that could come in and take over. The minute she did, it was incredibly successful. And the older daughter, you know, this is where there's a lot of guilt associated with if you're the child of an entrepreneur, is this business going to go away if I don't take over? What's going to happen if a family member doesn't take it? And that oldest daughter had to tell the truth about what her desires were. And then the dad had to come to terms with the fact that she wasn't the right person. And it all worked out great. Let's talk about that because I think we've been getting to sort of the heart of the matter, which a lot of it is about honesty and telling the truth, as opposed to a lot of these other assumptions. The reality checks are kind of all about telling the truth, if I'm going to totally bottom line it. <laughs> yes. It's like what's yeah. really, really true instead of what you think or wish would be true. Is that right? Sure. Absolutely. And that's where I love Dan saying, right, all progress starts with telling the truth. It is absolutely true when it comes to a family business. So every chapter has reality checks at the end of it to say, 
what is the reality of your current situation? But it also says, are you really ready and willing to do what it's going to take to make this work? And if you can't be honest with yourself about it, if you've got this pie in the sky dream and this lovely vision of what it could be, if you bring family members into the business and you haven't done the reality checks, it's not going to work out. Entrepreneurs by nature are sometimes dreamers. They're absolutely some of the most positive and glass half full kind of people that I've ever seen. So when all of a sudden a family member is available, they need a job. Oh my gosh, it's this perfect fit. It's very hard for them not to make that happen. And by the way, especially because the entrepreneur often needs them as well right? I need some help and there's this family member and they need something too. We're going to make it happen. And you've got to spend a little extra time making sure that it's the right fit. But yes, it's all about telling the truth first to yourself and then communicating the real deal to this other person. Mm -hmm. There's one thing actually you just reminded me of that we haven't talked about yet. And that is, it goes back to the trust issue. And one of the real advantages of having your family members who are the right people, the right fit, that you can entrust them with really important business information. It could be, in Colby's case, an algorithm. It could be with proprietary information, with a special formula. I mean, that trust element, is, I think, is what the instigation is for so many people to bring in family is because they know that that person will have their back, so to speak. And that's been true for Colby, too. Oh, absolutely. And that is a story that we have lived. And Kathy actually, way before any family members were in the business, Kathy brought someone in as someone that she wanted to train to take over the business. Boy, that did not go well. We have intellectual property. We have different algorithms, as you said. We have reports. We have our assessments. And this is someone who learned from her over a few years she took him in. He was like family. We celebrated birthdays with him and his family who had moved from out of the country. And he took everything he learned here, left the business and created a complete copycat assessment. I mean, he didn't even change a lot of words. So the good news is we've been able to sue him in several different courts and win and those kinds of things. But the lesson was so painful to Kathy where that breach of trust, where she spent years basically training the guy who was going to steal everything from her. Boy, at the point where she was deciding whether or not it was a good idea for me or my brother David to come into the business, that was the best part of it for her is that she knew that she could trust us to have integrity and take care of the baby. Because as we know, entrepreneurs, businesses, it's their baby. Mm -hmm. And especially when you create something from scratch, like Kathy has done. The one thing that we know is we would never violate any of those kinds of issues. So she always says, boy, as a business owner and a founder, I sleep well at night because the one thing that did happen to me that was the worst thing ever, I know is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of other ways that we could screw up the business. But one of the things that we're not going to do is steal in that kind of a way. So that is one of the benefits of working with family members that you trust. And that's a big deal. I mean, we've seen when that goes wrong. I remember being around for a part of that. <laughs> she was very unhappy. It's hard, especially when they misuse it. They're mistreating the baby. They're really not caring for something that's so precious. And entrepreneurs take it so personally. Yes. The business is them. So it's really important that that get protected and get taken care of. Now, I want to just ask a question that occurred to me as you were talking earlier. What if you have someone who has the right Colby MO for the role and the right background but doesn't have the right attitude or the right interest, what happens then? 
Boy, that's an interesting one because as I keep mentioning, you really want to fit in all three parts of the mind. So you need to have a discussion about what do they have interest in? What are they passionate about? What are they motivated about? And is there a way for them to do some of those things in the business? Because sometimes it's not the business in its entirety, but there's a piece of it that can be done or spun off or those kinds of things. So I know a family business that started with educational services, and then they ended up having a spinoff and doing real estate, which sounds like the strangest things, but entrepreneurs get to do these things, right? And there was a real passion that one of the kids had in that area and they saw the ability to test the waters and do some of that. And that person is now running that part of the business. So I'm not suggesting that you're going to create an entire division just for one of your adult children just because it's their passion. But in this case, they had already been dabbling in some property that they owned and those kinds of things, and it worked. We need to ask the question because if this kid is just doing it either out of some sense of duty, that's not good. If they're never going to enjoy or love what this business does, then it's just not a good fit. You have to love and value and have some degree of passion for what the family business is, or let's figure out if there's a piece of it that works for you. But in a lot of cases, when you get someone coming in that doesn't have that right attitude about the business, it's never coming. They're doing it because they need a job (laughs) a lot of times. And that's just a fail for everyone involved. So that's not good. Now, I have seen times where they're not necessarily as passionate. By the way, no one's ever going to be as passionate as a founder of a business. So that kind of bar that you're expecting, that kind of response is not necessarily appropriate. But sometimes it's a matter of being educated and understanding what the business does on a day-to-day basis and seeing where do I fit in that? How do I get to use my gifts? to make a difference in this business. And then that passion comes with that. So I'm not saying that never happens, but you have to be very careful. You have to have good Mm -hmm. conversations around that. Another circumstance that I see a lot, I'm making a generalization, but it is what I see more often than not, is a husband will bring a wife into the business. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it seems to half work. But what are the circumstances under which it can really work well? And where does it get Dicey. And I'm also very aware of the impact on non family members when the spouse is all of a sudden there and they have to, like, what do I do with this person? They're at the top in terms of power and influence, but they may not have been around the business much or may have family still as a priority. What do you see there? Oh boy. And you can add a lot of stories to this too. So we see this all the time. If you are not going to be a full time member of this organization in a role that's appropriate for you, you shouldn't just be dabbling. So let's say a wife is a great bookkeeper. Fabulous. Have her do the books, but she shouldn't be in on, then on meetings where it's not appropriate. So where it goes wrong is when someone is kind of, yeah, when I'm needed, I'm there, but then I'm going to go to my kid's school to do this 40% of the time. You really got to watch that. I think that how you split your time really shows your values and people start resenting that this person just comes and goes as they see fit. Now, there are times maybe when that's appropriate, but then call it a part-time employee, have an appropriate role for that person. They should not be in on high-level decision-making decisions and those kinds of things. So again, this is kind of where the boundaries come into play. But the other thing that I find is, I saw this recently with a husband and wife. He knows he can trust his wife to really get things done and follow through. And he's desperate. So he's having her do some projects and she is great at it. But guess what? She can't stand it. It's not her passion. She doesn't want to be there long term. And eventually she starts resenting it. And yet 
as we know, if you're married to an entrepreneur, you're in the business. I mean, you're a part of the family business, whether you want to be or not. But maybe your role can be a little bit different. And you have to think about what is your time in the company look like. So I'm sure, Shannon, you've seen some of that as well. I have. And as I was talking, I'm like, oh, now I can think of two instances where women have brought their husbands in. And one of them just totally leveraged her. He did the backstage, she did the front stage, and it was just this match made in heaven. So that was really cool to see that. And he brought all of his business experience and acumen to the fore. So they were actually able to join forces and it worked really, really well. So it definitely can. But again, it's almost like as soon as you bring a family member into the business, they actually have to kind of act like a non-family member or to be held to exactly the same standards and treat people equally is really kind of the message that the book conveys and that you're talking about. Now, let's talk about transitions. There's two other parts of the book I really want to get to. One of them is what happens if you have to exit out a team member and when you gave a lovely testimonial, thank you for multiplication by subtraction. <laughs> Although I didn't intentionally touch on the whole letting go of a family member because that has a whole other wrinkle. There is one part of my book where I talk about legacy team members and one of the challenges, they're often family members and that's what makes it really challenging. And then also before we end, I want to make sure we talk about how you exit the business as the original founder. And you've got some great stories about that. Is there a graceful way to have that conversation with a family member when it's not working for them to be a part of the team any longer? Well, I'm going to state the obvious, but if you set this up ahead of time well, then that transition out of the business is not as painful. When I came in and started working for Colby Corp, we agreed that if at any time it wasn't working for either one of us, we'd walk away and that that was almost an expectation. So we had an exit strategy. We actually started with a, this is what it takes to have an out clause and this is what it would look like. Mm -hmm. Because you love your family member. We've got to really think about not destroying those relationships. And we've had, by the way, a family member that didn't work out in our business. We've been through that before. So we know what that looks like. But if you start up front with the expectations and if at any time it's not working, we're okay with separating, then that makes it easier. But beyond that, think about what is best for that person. I would never want someone to stay in an organization where it's not working for them for whatever reason, even if they don't realize yet that it's not working for them, where it's not a good fit. I want to love that person enough to help them transition out and help them find something else. So you have to think about what decision would you make if this person were not a family member. You have to start there always. And no, it's not realistic to think that you would handle it exactly the same. Hmm. But you do have to make the decision of what's best for the business. And this is back to business is business. That's why we call it that book. What is best for the business at this time? If it is not to have that person in that role and it's just not working anymore or it hasn't worked, then you got to have those honest conversations. So back to you have to have a really mature relationship with this person because there's got to be brutal honesty when this is happening. And if it's a husband and wife, they need to have a mature relationship and understanding, especially if a child has to be exited out of the business too. Sure. Because there's a lot of other people that that impacts as part of that conversation. Yeah. And I've seen people make that transition and it is always better in the end. But there's a painful point of, well, what's next for this person? And we can't just leave them out in the cold with nothing to do and all that. You can help them transition to another thing. I mean, help them with your expertise, help them with some advice, um, help them think it through. But yes, I think that when it's an adult child, then you might have some tension with the other family member and the spouse. And yet again, if you're trying to do what's best for them, 
then hopefully you're making the right decision. So we always say, don't seek out having a family business, but seek out having successful spouses and successful children. I mean, if that's the goal, then is that something where they can thrive in your business? Great. At the point where they are not thriving or your business is being hurt by it, then the decision becomes pretty clear. And we've done some coaching certainly with people around that, but it's never easy. So I would not say it's easy, but have those conversations up front. I love it. And that's great coaching. All right. The last thing I want to chat about that I know of, at least the chapter in the book is so fabulous about this, about how the founder can leave, will leave, how he or she leaves, how to do it well, what some of the trials and tribulations are. I've used that term a lot, but it's really one of the challenges because it's hard to let go of your baby. <laughs> it's hard to let it grow up and pass to the next generation. And you guys have had lots of experience with that with Kathy, and I've heard it from her too. So again, what works or what doesn't work? What are some do's and don'ts for that? So we have lived this. We have absolutely been through this. And I give Kathy a ton of credit because she created this business from nothing. It is absolutely her baby. She has seen her baby stolen, as I said, you know, or or whatever you would call that, you know, abused. And she knows what that feels like. Now, there's a couple things that have to be in place in order for the owner to exit gracefully. The first thing is they need to have somewhere to go. Because one of the things that Kathy will say, and she wrote the majority of this chapter, she will say, you've got to exit the building. And she means literally physically go because the ability to see decisions being made every day and not weighing in is nearly impossible for most people. So the first thing is the founder's got to have the what's next for me. And isn't it amazing to have that freedom to do that? So we tell a story in the book about how David and I took Kathy out to lunch one day and she was really miserable in the day-to-day running of the business. And we could see it and we knew it. But we didn't know how to approach her. And we sincerely came at it from a desire to help her, put her out of her pain that she was having, having to be the day-to-day person who's running this business. So we took her to lunch and we decided, hey, let's just say, take a sabbatical, do what you want, create whatever other business you wanted. Like, we're just going to give you freedom to do whatever. We will deal with the day-to-day stuff. And we were terrified that she would be really angry. Like we were saying she wasn't capable or that, hey, we were trying to push her out. And that was absolutely not our intent. So boy, let me tell you, did we sweat this meeting? (laughs) And we were so nervous about, was she going to get mad? How was she going to handle it? Was she just going to be grateful? She looked at us and said, thank you so much for that offer. Let's give it a month and let's see how it goes. And within a week or maybe two, she called and she said, I'm never coming back. (laughs) It was amazing. First of all, her reaction surprised us. She was ready, but she wasn't ready to just put it on us. She didn't know where we were. So we made the offer. She took us up on it and she's never come back to running the business or being in the office. She hasn't had an office with us for many, many years. Now she did. She didn't go on a vacation. She laughed when we said, ha, take a sabbatical, go travel the world because that's just not her style. She created another business immediately that allowed her the freedom to spend time with education, kids, health, all the things she's passionate about. So she's still working and producing, but she's got a lot more freedom to do it in a way that works for her. So that worked for us, but she was able to walk away because she had something to do. And I was talking to a client recently who said she and her father worked together for years. He was going to the office every single day in his 80s because he had nowhere else to go. He still was so passionate, wanted to contribute. And she said, I never got to run the business until the day he died. And she said, it ruined our relationship. 
because he was in here every day questioning what he was doing. So on paper, it looked like she was running the business and he was out, but that's not what happened. And so we have to have compassion, first of all, for the person who created this business and say, this absolutely, as you said, is their baby. And with nothing else to do to feel productive or move on or contribute in a certain way, that's a hard thing to just walk away. So what are we going to do to help them transition? The other thing that goes wrong, by the way, is the next generation does not know when to bring back that founder for advice and information and sharing. And that's key. So Kathy didn't just walk away and we never worked with her anymore. She's still contributing products. She's still chairman of the board. She is still involved. She's just not here in the day-to-day. And for us not to bring her in when her years of experience and expertise could help us is such a shame. And that's not okay either. That's when the next generation is going to fail because they don't know when to ask for help. I think that is one of the pitfalls, especially if there's a pent-up demand to go, let me run the company. <laughs> you know, They're like, no, I don't want to talk to you. Go away. And then the founder's greatest fears is to be left out. And even if they do have something to go, if they can see something going south and they have no voice to help or they're not being asked for advice, that's another negative impact on that family relationship. So I think as part of the exit strategy, setting it up. So in these circumstances, here's where I will come in. I will stay out of the day-to-day, which is the number one thing. And before we go, you have to share the pizza story. One of everyone's favorite from the book. (laughs) Because Kathy leaving was not without a few little bumps in the road, which is totally normal. That's right. So I just said that she left the building, but she also, her number one piece of advice is you have to be out of the building because you won't be able to stay out of day-to-day decision-making. And to illustrate that point, I told a story that happened about a year after Kathy was out of the business and she just happened to be in the office signing some papers or something. And I said, we're about to start a staff meeting. Would you like to stay? We're having pizza. She said, great. The staff meeting hadn't started, but all the pizzas were getting delivered and she started looking at them and she actually started asking me why I hadn't ordered more meat pizzas. She started suggesting that I had not ordered enough. I mean, she was critiquing how I ordered the pizza and I was not happy about it. It was this knee-jerk reaction. I pulled her aside into an office and I said to her, are we really going to have a conversation about how I ordered the pizza? Do you want to talk about this? Because if you don't trust me to order the pizza, first of all, how bad could I screw it up? You know, here's my out if I ordered the wrong kind of pizza or not enough. So I gave her that at least. And I said, if you can't trust me to order pizza, then we really have a problem. We laughed about that and we still laugh about it. And we've used that example when we're making other decisions in the business as kind of this threshold. I will say, is this a pizza level making decision to you? Because it is to me, do you agree or not? Or is this more important than pizza? So that's our story in the book of how painful sometimes it is when (laughs) the founder does come back and critiques every single thing you're doing. So those of you out there that are in that situation, I can relate to that. So I'm not saying it's easy. It doesn't go away. You have to find humor in it. And you have to do a really good job of figuring that out. Because every once in a while, Kathy will see that David and I might be making a decision that she really is concerned about. It's appropriate for her to bring that up. I mean, you can't just sit back and watch your kids fail at everything. We have her as an expert. So yes, just like when your child is young, you want them to have some natural consequences and learn the hard way. But if it's going to be devastating to the business and she's still there to help us with that, that's a shame. 
not to have her there. Pizza is not one of those situations. <laughs> I love that. I know I can just feel there's some people listening going, oh my gosh, that was me. I did that. <laughs> so I love it. Well, thank you so much, Amy. There's so much more in the book. So if you don't yet have a copy of Business is Business, Reality Checks for Family-Owned Companies by Kathy Colby and Amy Bruschi, please order it right away. It's such a practical book because the points you make are really clear. Then I love the reality checks. I love the stories. And the reality checks are do's and don'ts and questions to ask yourself. And I love the practical. So I like it that people can take action immediately. And I have to say, sometimes you'd be like, yes, I do that right. And other times you'd be like, oh, no, I've got some work to do. But that's a sign to me of a really relatable book. So huge thank you to both you and Kathy for putting this together. It's totally a labor of love and a great sign of family teamwork, actually, <laughs> if you ask me. A couple of things I've learned from this. One is I actually need to set aside more personal time with my family because I think I take it for granted because I see them so often. So my mother will be happy after listening to this and my sister. But also that we really do need to keep family as family and business as business and to keep those separations really clear. And it's when we blur them or aren't strategic or don't use profiles like Colby, then we can get into a lot of trouble. So I really appreciate the clarity that this provides. And I've already recommended it to all my clients, but I will do that again, because so many of them ask me questions about relative to teamwork. What do I do? Should I bring this person in? Should I bring in my son or daughter? What about this person? I'm like, ah, here's my take on it. But now I feel like I have an expert's perspective on it. So Amy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time and the great eloquent explanation of business as business. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're so passionate about entrepreneurs and helping people and we live it every day. So thank you for the opportunity and letting me share with everyone what we've learned. My pleasure. Thank you everyone very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments for myself or for Amy, or you want to know more how to get the book, please let us know at questions at strategiccoach.com. As always, here's to your team success. Hi, Shannon here, and thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate the Team Success Podcast on iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd share the podcast with anyone else who could benefit. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Coach Program for Entrepreneurs, visit us at strategiccoach.com or the Strategic Coach channel on YouTube. For free downloads and more Team Success strategies, visit teamsuccesshandbook.com.